0: everyone. I'm your host Amanda and this is Light It Up. We're rejoined by Max Halden for this part called When the Lights Go Out. Our final part in this series covering what happened to the Light Keepers across three episodes, the inquiry, the fallout and the future. Welcome back Max. Wow, it has been a journey.
1: It really has, Mandy. I certainly, I, you know, I said at the start I didn't know much about lighthouses and now I know more than I ever thought I would.
0: <laughs> yeah, more than you ever thought you would, particularly for future trivia nights. And it feels quite fitting, actually, that you started on this journey with us, as you say, knowing nothing about lighthouses. We've gotten you invested in their stories and now it's time to draw it to a close and shine a light on how it all ended.
1: Shine a light. I see what you did there.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I think I've been receiving many compliments for my puns, my very short list of puns that can be made about Lighthouses. But yes, as foreshadowed, at many, many points during this series, you know, we've heard many references to demanding automation. And sadly, all good things usually come to an end. And so we're going to wrap up this season with where the keepers went, and why you cannot be, I guess, an official lighthouse keeper today. Max, would you be able to hazard a guess as to how the light keeping profession ended? What do you think happened? Yeah, well, well, I mean,
1: I think, you know, you've kind of touched on some of the points that I feel like are going to be pretty crucial. Automation seems like a big one. Having somebody there to turn on a, off a light is pretty good, but, you know, at the moment in my house I can say, okay, Google, turn my lights off and it'll um, do my lights for me or I can do it from my phone or anything else. So, it doesn't surprise me that you don't need somebody, you know, up a large tower lighting a gas light anymore.
0: You're totally right. Damn that technology, making things more efficient and uh, less human-centered. Yeah. And,
1: you know, I wonder about you. Know, the sort of, we've talked to a lot of lighthouse keepers who are really passionate about the job, but you know, it must be uh, quite a hard job to do as well. And, you know, as you get older, I imagine it also gets harder to maintain, you know, a whole building all on your own. So, you know, I can also imagine that there's a case of generational change that maybe played a factor as well.
0: I can imagine little was perhaps known about the the perils of having a mercury bath and dealing with kerosene (laughs) on a daily basis. I doubt anyone would be wanting to man those types of lights these days.
1: Yeah, I'm scared even getting a lift in my office.
0: <laughs> and I love your comment actually about how we all have lights in our house. Maybe we are the modern day light keepers flicking on and off the switch for us who have not quite gotten onto the home ecosystem train yet.
1: <laughs> it feels a little bit dramatic for turning on a light switch. But yeah, I mean, it, you do feel kind of like an a, a otherworldly being when you can clap your, and turn the lights on and off. So I can understand the kind of power these lighthouse keepers might have felt.
0: Totally. Let's take a listen to what Lance Wilson has to say about the end of the lightkeeping profession. What happened to the lightkeepers once they had to leave the island? Well, the they,
2: before d Manning started, there was an inquiry. I don't know whether you've heard about it or anybody's mentioned it to you so far. It was called Do We keep the Coopers? You often hear of... Um, what do they call them, uh, Senate inquiries, that sort of thing. All the people on the committee were senators, you know, hand-picked by who uh, They took heaps of submissions from various organisations, including the, um, the shipping companies, the police, the professional fishing mobs. and then they ruled on it that, you know, um, uh, it's a user pays business. This is the thing they stuck to. And if you want a light to be retained, you've got to pay for it. Well, you know, a lot of people out there, they didn't want to put their hands in their pockets sort of thing because the shipping industry paid for it and it was a total, um, they used to say it was a total cost recovery, which I imagine it was. And um,
0: So what happened? Essentially, two things happened. As you flagged, the first, technology evolved. Displaced the need for humans to be going up to the top in the lantern room. We were effectively, light keepers were made redundant. Secondly, this is probably the crucial part, the government actually did something about it to save money. They actually removed the light keepers. In this episode, we will focus on that second part of the demise of the light keepers, which is what the government did in response to evolving technology and the consequential change in behaviours and needs required. So I've done a bit of sleuthing, a bit of historical research. Came across this article from the 17th of August, 1983, Australian newspaper. Such was the interest in the demise of the lighthouse profession that they ran an article called Lighthouse Men in Shadow of Automation. And the front image was this image of a lightkeeper holding his baby son wearing his light-keeping cap with the caption, the cap doesn't fit, which is just as well because it is unlikely Bob Macbeth's son, Robert, will ever wear a lighthouse keeper's hat in an official capacity.
1: Wow. His name was Bob Macbeth. That's very dramatic too.
0: Very, very dramatic, perhaps foreshadowing uh, (laughs) his profession, I
1: suspect. Yeah, the Australian brother of the real Macbeth, you know, Bob.
0: Bob, yeah, sounds about right. Now. I couldn't, but I couldn't help but have a glance at what was also next to this newspaper article extract. What do you think was going on in 1980s, along with the uh, lighthouse uh, lighthouse profession crises? Max, that's
1: a great question. Well, it's this the 17th of August is actually my birthday. Uh, oh, no way. I'm I'm willing to say it wasn't in 1983, but I uh, I wonder. I mean, the the 80s, you know, largesse and um, thinking, you know big stock market moves and maybe we're talking privatization of stuff. I'm not sure.
0: Oh, you are totally right about big moves. Before I go there. Cannot believe your birthday is also 17th of August. The stars have just aligned. This is this is your topic.
1: I know. It's I mean the spooky coincidences continue.
0: <laughs> so The article next to it was, it actually is quite hilarious to look at now, you know, the benefit of hindsight. The article was called, or the caption was, Medicare Battle, Australian Association of Surgeons Unanimously Declare Total Opposition to the Medicare Universal Health Scheme. Medibank was a picnic compared with Medicare or Mediocre Care, as I will refer to it from now, is the quote.
1: (laughs) It's terrifying to think, isn't it, Mandy?
0: It is the fork in the road moment. Of good thing we got it done; otherwise, we'd be another walking uh, train wreck like the US at the moment.
1: Oh yeah, you wonder what um, what other things we talk about now. You know, four day work weeks, universal basic income. That um, we'll look back in twenty years and say, "Wow, I can't believe we had such opposition to it."
0: That's right. Imagine if lighthouse keeping had gone the other direction, and we still had them today. Wouldn't have the benefit of this podcast, no doubt.
1: You make a great point.
0: Maybe you could have been that Robert Macbeth and be a light housekeeping profession yourself. Who knows?
1: Yeah, the baby son who couldn't fit an adult hat.
0: <laughs> For sure. So just to pick up where Lance left off, what actually happened? <coughs> Two pivotal reports, the Summers Report and what I will deem and call the Inquiry. So remember, way back when, in our early lighthouse journey, parts one and one to three, the purpose of lighthouses we discovered was it was a navigational aid, both in the daytime and the nighttime. Sound about right, backs, based on your knowledge. Yep. Tick. So, for some for some reason, perhaps because of the changing technology, the government commissioned a report. On the navigational aid systems in November 1974 called the Summers Report which funnily enough is a actually super fascinating insight into maritime history how important navigational aids were to ships and travel and it's quite funny I've never really read government inquiry reports so far and I feel like these two that I'm about to talk about are quite uh reflective of the style back then but even uh Open wood fires from 2000 years ago. Captain Cook and celestial navigation get a mention in this report. But as we all know, and as quoted in this report, lighthouses were an integral part of the early activities in Australia's settlement and trade, reflecting the country's dependence on sea transport. The public would seldom be aware of the ingenious manner in which the problems of installation and servicing these have been solved. Starts off pretty. Pretty positive, right? You wouldn't think that this opening page would have led to the demise of the whole profession, but there you go. Sounds
1: sounds good to me. I mean, I'd certainly have never thought about the, those problems. And so that they're right from that perspective.
0: Smooth, well-oiled industry, by the sounds of it, literally. <laughs> Keeping the ships jogging. So at that time they had four they still had 48 manned lights and 217 unattended lights. So not that many still, but enough, I guess, to warrant this inquiry. Here comes the but. So the but is, happens on page three. In recent years, we have experienced an enormous increase in the size and speed of ships serving the world's trade routes. These ships, of course, cost far more to build and operate. There has thus also been an extension of the user of nav beyond the ship's captain to the owner-operator of these large vessels. Because of the owner's primary interest in cost savings, efficiency, and economy of operation. Uh oh. Yes, this is where you have that foreshadowing uh oh music cost, cost savings, efficiency. There's your red flag. I think
1: I see where this one is going.
0: Yes, where it leads is i continue this, this uh, summary of this report. So it says, two important changes have taken place in respect of the financing of navigational aids. <laughs> the installation and maintenance of navigational aids are financed from light dues charged to the shipping industry. So recap, if we remember, the way that lighthouses and the Cape ships were funded was essentially the ships that use the lights would pay these, I guess, rates or dues the government but obviously since then we've had a change in technology they don't want to be paying for something they're not really using now they've got gps satellite etc etc they don't need the lighthouses which you know what kind of sounds fair enough i can imagine you know we don't want to be paying for our neighbor's electricity for example or street lights that we're not using it's a good point so the two important changes were and i love that they lead with this first one a switch. Of accounting method, fun.
1: <laughs> sounds like your area, Mandy.
0: <laughs> it sounds like my area, I suspect this, the implication for the second one might be, uh, might be bigger, it's, which is the break-even point. So currently, obviously, a lot of the expenditure on lighthouses arises from the operation and maintenance of the navigational aid, so in this case the light stations and light keepers. Very little of the expenditure relates to new work on modernization. And secondly, a large amount is spent on the lighthouse servicing vessels, i.e. the Cape ships. So you're flagging. Financing arrangements have changed. The shipping companies don't really want to pay for something they're not using. Your biggest cost are the people and the lighthouses and the ships. You're breaking even, if not no longer breaking even. I feel like we know what happens next, Max.
1: Yep, writing's on the wall.
0: The writing is on the wall. So this report finishes by saying, a good case can be made to terminate the manning of many of these lights in the near future. The Department of Transport has advised the commission that it is planning to unman, note this number, 19 of 48 manned stations by 1980. So within the next six or so years, they are culling about 40%. That's where the report ends. Department of Transport, takes this as a green light to actually accelerate the rate of their unmanning. Wow. As mentioned, there was a second report called The Inquiry. Let's take a listen to Ted Pearce to give us a brief introduction to what The Inquiry was. So Sounds like quite I- a traumatic time, that transition period of... Um- Unmanning. Were you around when they had that 1983 parliamentary inquiry? You know, do um, we keep the keepers? Yes,
3: we were. And it was, um, it, I think it was inevitable that they were made, uh, they were demand and made automatic. But um, it really makes me sad to think that some of the lighthouses now, with the um, what we call coverware lights, um, where the range of the light has been reduced and the fact that in some isolated places there's nobody there, um, one day they're going to regret not having a lighthouse keeper in some of these places.
0: When you say the unmanning was inevitable, What was it like being a lightkeeper during that time and seeing the writing on the wall?
3: Um, A very uncertain time. Um, We had to, um, well, when I first went in, it was going to be a lifetime job and I would retire, um, old age retirement from the lighthouse. Then we had to change our lifestyle and think of what what we were going to do after we were made redundant, when the lights went automatic. Does that make sense to you?
0: Oh, it totally does. I'm just reflecting on, um, you know, I've read, I've read the 1983 inquiry report and there are quite frequent references to the public outcry about unmanning oh. at that time. Could you describe what the sentiment was?
3: Um, yes, we, I can remember the public outcry. And it was mainly concerned with um, what happens near a lighthouse if there's no one there. Um, Take, for instance, Deal Island. Um, If there'd have been a a wreck out there at Deal Island uh, and nobody there, what happens? Um, That was one of the big concerns. And then another concern was vandalism because – even when I was at prom, I had to go out one day and go around to Cape Lip Trap to report on damage that had been done to to the um, the lantern there uh, f- by people uh, firing rifles at it. So that was a big um, a big worry for them. It was the vandalism side of things.
0: So, as Ted mentioned. There was an inquiry. And this inquiry was actually a 1983 House of Representatives Standing Committee on Expenditure launched. Uh, sorry, 1983 House of Representatives Standing Committee on Expenditure called Lighthouses. Do we keep the keepers? And as a specific review of light stations, as opposed to the holistic review of the navigational aids generally in the Summers report. To save you the hassle of all reading this uh, report that is hundreds of pages long. But, Max, if you've got a bit of time, recommend a bit of bedtime reading. It does actually have a really interesting introduction into the history of lighthouses, if that takes you fancy.
1: I don't think it's going to be better than this podcast, Mandy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're too right. Biggest fan. Thanks for the plug, Max. So for listeners, I'll cut straight straight to the punchline. The review of the light stations was essentially a cost-benefit analysis of having somebody there. Or somebody not there and not just demand the light station but for other other uses so for example cultural reasons or environmental reasons for example if there needs to be maintenance in that area so essentially they decided for 33 of the now only remaining 41 manned stations left the benefits outweigh the cost but there would be a reduced presence at most of these light stations for eight of them. The cost outweighed the benefit, but they were only to be unmanned per any original unmanning timing by the Department of Transport. So essentially they were flagging the end essentially of light keeping as a profession. And again, the similar argument of commercial shipping is the only group that pays these light dues and they shouldn't be required to continue paying for light stations because it's just a service they don't need. And this is the really interesting part and... I'm not sure if you're well versed in how government works, Max, but and this is probably the reason why there are probably no light keepers left. But the, the light stations that they actually identified as having value in someone being there, that value was was obviously a variety of reasons. You know, like I said before, cultural, environmental, weather keeping. Mm. And the report actually left it up to those departments to sort out how they would actually decide who is going to pay for what at those light stations which is a red flag because because ultimately no one wants to pay and therefore there is nobody there
1: yeah that's tough and quantifying that value i imagine you know this podcast has really been about looking at all those those values of of lighthouses but so many of those are very difficult to quantify when you're just looking at dollars and cents
0: correct how do you put As we've covered in this episode, nostalgia, artistic inspiration, uh, the benefits of just having someone there to keep away, you know, pests or, you know, ensure that the light station is looking nice without having a proper tourist cafe or function there. You're right, totally hard to quantify and particularly justify for a government department that probably doesn't have much money in the first place.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, have you ever heard of the Christchurch Wizard?
0: No, what what is the Christchurch Wizard do?
1: Tell. Well, it's uh, exactly what it sounds like. It was a guy who was paid by the Christchurch City Council to uh, be a wizard and would entertain people, and tell stories, and you know do a bunch of other public outreach activities. But he was fired at the end of 2021, which is very sad. But you know, how do you put a value on a wizard? It's not easy, and I don't want to compare all lighthouse keepers to wizards, but um, it's, it's got a similar flavour to
0: it. You're totally right. I appreciate that analogy, Max. Thank you for sharing that Christchurch employed a wizard. <laughs> to since, to since, since,
1: since 1982.
0: Heritage. That's just tradition, and they've just wasted it. He survived COVID, and they let him go, right? Uh, right it was nearing the end. Absolutely. What was the response of the Christchurch community to uh, the firing of their wizard? Oh, I think sadness.
1: You know, I think one thing that's hard, is, in the same way that, you know, the wizard's benefit, of course, was obviously for local people, but it was largely for tourists and people who are visiting the town. And, you know, obviously New Zealand in the uh, international imagination has a sort of magical tinge to it as the place where one of the most famous fantasy movie series ever was filmed. And so I think. The difficulty is, of course, yeah, where the, where the value lies. If local people are paying for something that people from outside of those places are getting a benefit from, uh, you can understand why. It's, it's, it's understandable that people don't want to pay for it, but, you know, it also does provide that value. So, you know, I think it's that same mix of sort of maybe melancholy or, or nostalgia, um, but also sort of cold hard realism when you're looking at dollars and cents in a budget.
0: You are totally right. and I should probably mention that the community and the public response to the inquiry and the level of participation actually prompted a comment in the, in the, the final report of the inquiry. And the, and the quote, you know, the, 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 the background is, you know, unmanning of light stations is a complex social problem which is of great concern to large numbers of the Australian community. Which surprises me, or shouldn't be really surprising after this episode, but the fact that this the the wider Australian community at large could be so engrossed by something like this, I guess, just blows my mind. Particularly in today's context, where we probably wouldn't think twice about about it at all.
1: Yeah, I think you know, it's like so many things at a at a big. When you look, when you zoom out, it's a decision that that makes sense, but when you really zoom in and you meet the people who are involved, it's hard not to be attached to this sort of way of living and, and, you know, the pull that lighthouse keepers and lighthouses have in our lives.
0: And I kind of laughed when I read this in the report, but it's probably true of that, that when you do zoom in and that emotional response and attachment, the report comments here that such was the response that in the report, it said that an alternative title that would have captured the atmosphere of the inquiry was the resolution of conflict.
1: Interesting. The, um, have you ever heard of Betteridge's law of headlines?
0: No, I have not, Max. What is it?
1: Well, it's a law that states that any headline that ends in a question mark can be answered by the word no. It's a bit of an informal um, adage but the the idea being that you know if you write a uh, you you would just write for example let's say Kate Middleton pregnant you know you would write Kate Middleton is pregnant you wouldn't write is Kate Middleton pregnant because the answer if you're asking the question probably no a- and same with you know do we keep the lighthouse do we keep the keepers if unfortunately if they're asking the question the answer is probably no or
0: another another example of um Things that are no longer, that kind of prompted my memory when you mentioned the Christchurch wizard, was thinking about things that are no longer around now that I kind of wish were. And the one that popped into my mind was, do you remember Sunny Boys?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Those ice blocks?
1: Yeah. Why, why do we not have those
0: anymore? Correct. I didn't realize it, but there are no longer sunny boys. Maybe they've been uh, overtaken by um, those Calipos. calippos, super zuper dupers. Mm. Tetrahedral was no longer in fashion. I think it's uh,
1: a <laughs> yeah, it's gone down the bottom of the. Um, it's not a shape that's in for 2022.
0: No, the other one that I also thought of was Samboy Chips Atomic Tomato flavor.
1: I'm, I'm sorry, Mandy. You're on your own there. I'm happy for uh, I'm happy for Atomic Tomato to live well into the past.
0: It's just a delicious flavour for those maybe with a more refined taste of uh, chip choice, Max. <laughs> uh,
1: just just plain salt for me.
0: Just plain salt. On a serious as we think about you know changing technology and things that are just not around today, to me it kind of sounds like the analogy of you know. 2G, 3G, 4G, there's 5G, there's probably going to be a 6G and a 7G and unfortunately 2, 3 and 4 are just going to be turned off very shortly if not already.
1: Yeah well I mean we have a mutual friend Mandy who did have a 2G phone right up until the network was turned off his old Nokia 3310 (laughs) phone that um, had to be upgraded by force because of updating technology.
0: RIP the Nokia bricks, bring them back.
1: I know, that's, that's something I'd be happy to return, although it would be probably hard to do my daily wordle on that.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think you're, well, you're stuck with Snake, I think, maybe. That's about it. That's true. Thank you, firstly, to Lance Wilson and Ted Pears for sharing their takes on the inquiry thanks to Sue Chen from the National Library of Australia for her support in finding that 17th of August 1983 article from The Australian. Thanks of course to my fantastic co-host Max Halden. Up next we continue with our final part in this series, When the Lights Go Out with The fallout. Thank you for listening. Light, 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 light. House, (laughs) lighthouse, lighthouse.
2: Thanks for having me on your show. I've been a long time listener. I really love your work.